Hello and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Network podcast. My name is Dr Grace Mansfield of Yusu, I am your host, and today's episode features Dr Ken Greens, who is a specialist psychologist and educational psychologist, several years of experience within educational settings, for example local authorities. So he works in London and surrounding areas for many years, councils such as Newham, Barking and Dagenham and Havering. He actually did and undertook his undergraduate studies in psychology at the University of Reading and then had to complete a teacher training course because the educational psychology courses at that time needed you to do a teacher training course and be a teacher before you became an educational psychologist. So, And then he taught for in a primary school. And then he then continued to do his specialist educational psychology training at the then called East London Polytechnic, which is now called the University of East London. He was then able to secure several roles, but his most notable time within an educational psychology local authority setting was at Barking and Dagenham Council, where he spent several years working with individuals, communities, educational establishments to help children and young people to overcome some educational diagnoses and educational barriers. We also talk in this episode about some conditions such as ADHD. We also talk about autism spectrum disorder as well as dyslexia. So if you're interested in any of these things and Ken's amazing career journey to educational psychology from a young age which he's kind of defied expectations and been able to establish himself and have an illustrious career helping and assisting others on their in their educational endeavors so stay tuned to the episode and um, I'll speak to you soon you'll hear from me very soon in other episodes Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Networks podcast. I have here uh, Dr. Ken Greaves, who is an educational psychologist. So first of all, I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us on this podcast episode. I was really excited to have you on and uh, just like to give you the chance to introduce yourself first. Hello, my name is Dr. Ken Greaves. I'm, uh, thank you for introducing, I'm a specialist uh, psychologist. I've taken early retirement so I can concentrate on developing my consultancy regarding my specific areas, which I'll talk about as we progress this interview. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So the first question is actually leads on to what you just said. Um, so your current kind of career slash job, it sounds like you're transitioning um, and what you kind of do in, in that job or career. What am I doing now? Um, well, currently, I'm, I've, um, I work as a specialist consultant in neurodiverse conditions. Um, yeah. So I work with people who have autism, ADHD, attention deficit, hyperactive disorder, mm-hmm. uh, dyslexia, and some of them with dyspraxia and associated uh, mental health conditions, including depression, yeah. um, anxiety, and so on. Um, but what I'm specializing in is working with girls on the, that have autism and women that have autism. And I've been trying to promote an awareness of autism within um, ethnic minorities, um, yeah. recognition that that's an area that has not really reached. Uh, we've not been able to reach from the point of view of um, uh, promoting awareness so that they can access the support that they deserve. Absolutely. And we'll be talking about um, your areas of specialism a little bit later on the podcast. But um, one of the areas that you highlighted, which I thought was particularly interesting, was autism in girls, um, especially younger girls, because from my I'm not an expert by no means. But what I've heard is that a lot of girls either get misdiagnosed or not diagnosed at all because they don't they're able to mask their symptoms for longer. Um, than boys and yeah so that's that's definitely an area that sounds really really interesting yeah it's really interesting it's I mean it's it's an area that obviously that the kind of the perspective on autism was very much male dominated and research has shown over many years that 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 girls have have a different profile but they are autistic and there's Mm -hmm. autism there and I work as a consultant for the Lorna Means Centre, which is the Specialist Diagnostic Centre of the National Autistic Society. Right. We specialise on um, identifying and diagnosing 
girls and women on the autistic spectrum. Wow. So uh, it's been an area of specialism for me for many years now. Brilliant. That sounds really good. And like I said, we'll delve into that a little bit later. So the next question is, it's a little, it sounds broad, but your journey to educational psychology. So how younger Ken uh, at school, how did that lead to where you are now as obviously a qualified educational psychologist? Well, um, it really, um, I suppose it's, it, it, it's, it's a kind of a journey with regards to a personal story mm. um, as opposed to a professional story. So um, if, if that's appropriate, then I'll, I'll give you that journey. <clears throat> and I've spoken to about this before. Mm. Um, effectively, um, my, uh, my parents came from the, um, from the Caribbean. Uh, they were part of the first Windrush generation. Right. And uh, we, they settled in uh, Tottenham in North London, which was a very culturally diverse area at the time. And that was where I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, because of we were living in rented accommodation, they managed to secure a, a, a council house <coughs> in, um, in Wolfenstow, mm-hmm. um, which was when, when we, we moved, which, which meant that we moved from predominantly um, mixed culturally diverse area into a very white um, yeah. class area uh-huh. and um, it was then that I started to feel different uh, from the point of view of my experiences and my siblings experiences as we were the the only black family in that within that area mm. and going to the school was a very difficult experience for us um, in that we were we were seen as different and we were treated as different um, from the point of view of being uh, treated very badly, um, yeah. um, bullied for, and so I, um, being the oldest of, of four, was, you know, given the uh, responsibility of looking after my brothers and sisters, which meant that I got into lots of trouble with my peers, yeah. um, and my teachers were not necessarily appreciative of my difficulties because they particularly, they, they particularly saw me as a problem. Yeah. And um, I got, soon got the, the label of being a behaviour problem <clears throat> uh, from, from the school, mm. um, which I wasn't. I was very well behaved at home, um, as, as you do as a Caribbean ch- child with fairly strict parents. Yeah. Um, so this meant that um, I, um, I didn't find schoolers uh, in, the, in my primary school days because it was around about eight when we moved. When I, mm. um, I found it more of a, a traumatic experience. In fact, I thought I was going into a war zone. Mm. And um, I, I was seen by someone who basically assessed me and said that I should be placed in a special school for behaviorally, um, emotionally behaviorally disturbed children. Mm. Um, and... Um, they basically I realized now it must have been a psychologist of some sort mm. and um I they gave me the report or the letter to take to my parents which I which I hid because I knew that there was something not quite right about this letter and my parents okay. found it and my dad wasn't particularly very pleased about it having been a teacher in the Caribbean right. so he effectively had a meeting with the head teacher and said I will discipline my son mm. which meant that um, life was difficult for me with regards to my dad being very focused on my my achieving academically and not in, not being very enthused about me taking on the uh, other pursuits that I was really interested in, such as football and music. I can relate to that. So the long and short of that was is that um, when I look back on it, it was uh, it's quite remarkable that I was treated in such a way um, mm. in a very discriminating way by, by the school. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you've done any research with regards to Bernard Cora Code and his research at that point in time where it was about um, the um, the, edu- the educational system treating Afro-Caribbean kids, particularly boys, as being placing them in ESN schools, educational yeah. abnormal schools. Yeah. And that was prevalent back in those days, and they wanted to do that to me. So, yeah. looking back, obviously, I was, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a real it's a recognition that it was a very difficult time. Absolutely. So the long and short of that was was that I was very insightful, and I always wondered why people were treating my family the way that they were. Mm-hmm. And so, when I got into these difficult situations, into these fights, I was very upset about it. And so, mm-hmm. I was very at a very young age, I was questioning what the world was all about, and yeah. so. That interest was with me and still is with me with regards to um, culture and ethnicity and yeah. facets. So the long and short of that was that I um, progressed on to 
secondary school and did better um, mm. and I was more appreciated by my teachers mm. I'd already had a reputation so people didn't t- particularly pick on me <laughs> uh, my brothers or my sister right and effectively I took on a role of supporting those that were being bullied mm. um, and an advocate an advocate yeah. absolutely and uh, the head teacher kind of uh, took me under his wing and basically said you have potential try and keep out of trouble, encourage me to do my sports mm. and um, basically encourage me to do um, well academically as, as did my, my family, particularly my father, mm. which meant that I eventually did reasonably well. I, I managed to achieve some GCSEs mm. or O-levels at the time. Yeah. And then this subject was doing my A-levels and then this subject called psychology appeared, which right. was... Um, it wasn't a school curriculum subject. It was I had to take it at a further, a further, a further education college. So you did but an I, additional GCSE outside. No, I, it was A levels. I, I, I was doing A levels in maths, um, um, biology, and sociology, and um, I I wasn't keen on going into medicine, which is what my dad's aspirations for me were. Mm. Um, and psychology seemed to be a nice fit. And, and at that point in time, it was a relatively new subject. Yeah. But it certainly took my attention. And um, basically, the long and short of it was that that was what I decided that I wanted to study at university. Although at that point in time, I was being told that I, I was, there was no way that I was going to achieve that type of uh, um, experience because um, because I wasn't I wasn't perceived as having any academic abilities to do so by my careers officer, for instance. Oh wow! And so effectively, what happened was that. Um, I managed to get my A-levels and I applied. I took some time out mm. um, and then I, I applied. Uh, I took some time out to save up some money to go to university. And uh, I got a place at Reading University to study psychology um, and zoology and sociology because you had to do those three subjects in the first year. Oh, and, wow. um, and, and when I went to university, it was a, a very um, different experience for me because I was the only black East End, working class Mm -hmm. student at that university, which was um, which was quite bewildering at the time. Mm. It was it was an experience where I was uh, there was wasn't anyone like me from my area that went to university. So, uh, you know, I had to just do as best I could. The first year I struggled. Mm. The second year I did reasonably well. The third year, when I was thinking of what to, to pursue, and I was thinking of trying to. Well, I was thinking of uh, training to be an, a clinical psychologist, right. but I was advised that uh, that there was a real need for a black educational psychologist okay. because of the issues to do with, um, uh, you know, um, children from culturally diverse groups not yeah. being treated fairly within the education system. And so I decided to train to be an ed psych. But right. to do that back in those days, you had to train to be a teacher first. Yes, yes. Um, I would really then in order to, to be a teacher, you, you, then you had to have some experience as a teacher. So mm-hmm. my, my quest has always been, and it was very much something that was instilled in me by my parents, was that, particularly my dad, was that you have to be the best in everything yeah. you do. Mm. You know, there's no there's no way that you're going to achieve these opportunities by just being good enough. Mm. You had to be the best. So I had to be the best. And so I applied to the best training college at that time, which was the Institute of Education for Primary yeah. and Child Development. And I, out of, I think- Is that in Institute of Education as in now University of London Institute of Education? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is now part of UCL, yeah. Yeah, they had the best training course for, for those that were aspiring to be at science and they had mm. something like 10,000 applicants and I, uh, up well, around about 44 places and I applied and I got it. So. Um, which was amazing yeah. and uh, managed to achieve a very good degree. So the next stage was for me was to go on to train to be a teacher. Then I worked um, in Newham as a teacher mm. and I experienced quite a lot of racism then as a teacher from the point of view of parents withdrawing their children from my class once the head teacher oh. them that I was going to be black. I remember that the local authority contacted the teacher to say, we've got a very good t- person here, uh, but the only issue is that he's black, is that okay? And uh, and I had the teachers uh, at that point in time seeing me in a very different way. So it wasn't a very comfortable experience to start off with. Not at all. Nonetheless, Do you mind me asking, like, when was that in terms of timings? You don't have to talk about a year, but like decade, 
just, just oh, no, it's, de- it's decades ago. We're talking in the eighties, so we're talking. Okay. I graduated in eighty two. No, eighty two, eighty three was the trade. Eighty one, eighty two, and then eighty two was when I eighty three was when I started teaching. So we're talking a long, long yeah. time ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I did think that I was trying to place it, and I was thinking around it would have yeah. been eighties time. Yeah. So, so effectively, um, I really enjoyed being a primary, a primary school teacher, which was something that I didn't really think I would bear in my primary school experiences. Mm. And, um, and um, I, it was a very culturally diverse area and, and yeah. I, I did well. And I ended up becoming a teacher in charge of a speech and language unit. Okay. Um, and uh, that was part of my progression to thinking of training to be an inside. But alongside that, I was working as a, um, a part-time youth worker because I got my qualifications in youth work and then I worked as a fitness instructor because I'm a qualified health and fitness consultant. So it gave me the kind of opportunity to have free areas where I could talk about interview where I was working with children, I was working with young young adults and I was also working with adults. So that that gave me this kind of angle to go in when I was applying to be trained trained as an ed psych. So um, effectively my my journey from there meant that um, I applied for all these courses, um, including uh, well, the Tavistock uh, yeah. Institute, Birmingham University, UCL, yeah. Yeah. and there was one called the Polytechnic of East London. Which is University of East London now, right? Right. And guess which one I chose? University of East London? I chose the University of East London. I got offered places for all the others, but really? I chose University of East London. And the reason why I chose the University of East London because I was a teacher in, in Newham, mm. and a Newham-based course, and in those days, you had to apply for funding alongside yeah. separately to your, your actual place on the course. And so I applied and I was successfully offered um, the funding um, to continue with regards to my placement on UEL. But also, it had some great people there. It had mm. some great psychologists. Um, mm. The head of the department was a lady called Sheila Wolfendell, Professor Sheila Wolfendell. Mm. She was very passionate about um, parents as partners and... Okay. Uh, about movement away from within deficit models to thinking about the organization and in those days she was talking about um, the conceptualization of the social model of disability so I really 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 was into all that and so I had a great year tough year um, qualified and then I went to work in Lewisham and Lewisham was a a difficult experience for me because um, it it got me into working into an area known as Ilia at the time it was just about to disband and that's where I kind of started to feel very insecure about the assessment tools that they were using Mm. and they were very keen on um, using the WISC um, um, and that that was something that I, I remember back in the days that anyone that was new to the Ilia at the time was given they were given that mm-hmm. so that was meant to be the tool that they use mm-hmm. now my training was very much we had to question even in those days about the use of these tools from the point of view of ethnicity yeah. whether they were culturally fair yeah and um so conversation it, we're still having it's still it's of course it is and um so it, it was an interesting experience. Anyway, the long and short was I, I moved from there to another borough, which was nearer to me, which is Havering, mm-hmm. and which was more white. Um, and so, um, but I wasn't comfortable there. But then there was a, there was some jobs being created in a place called Barking and Dagnet, where I am, where I trained, I experienced mm-hmm. training, which was predominantly white. And it was very working class and very similar to my experiences of, as a young person. Yeah. But I really, really liked the team that was there. They okay. had really, they had a brilliant vision, and so I started working there in 1991. And I have only I worked there for 29 years. Wow! So um, my my career has really been kind of the, the core of my career has been in that particular borough. Yeah. And, um, it's changed dramatically over the years. But when I started, I was literally a, a, a blot on the landscape. There wasn't anyone like me. Um, which is not unusual with regards to my journey, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Um, and um, and I faced a lot of hostility from the mm. indigenous, shall we say, communities, as it wasn't very. Well, I think you know about this. I think we've had a conversation, mm. and um, it wasn't. It was very different. And um, but the long and short of it was is that I uh, won over the community because they realised that I was there to support them, and my perspective has always been um, equality of opportunity no matter who uh, I've always checked myself with regards to my values and being in a position of authority and responsibility I've always striven to give my best yeah um, so I've had a very successful career within Barton Dagnum and I've had many initiatives that I've been involved with so um, you know 
it's it's been it's it's enabled me to develop my uh, be involved in strategy. It's enabled mm. me to travel to different places in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's enabled, enabled me to to actually develop my kind of vision as to how I am shaped as a as a psychologist. Yeah, absolutely. But that's kind of like a in a nutshell as to um, my journey. But from the from the beginning, I I was always thinking of asking these questions, and so. An issue that I would probably just, you know, need to be kind of put into whoever's out there. Mm. That are you a psychologist or are you, uh, are you, uh, so in my profession, uh, it's educational psychologist where yeah. I started off in, but mm. I've branched out into different, different fields. Mm. There, there were two types of psychologists that I met with throughout that, my profession. One was, are you an educational psychologist? Mm-hmm. And the other one is, are you an applied psychologist? Mm. So I'm an applied psychologist because yeah. um, that's been my journey. That's been how I've seen my 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 vision with regards to why I got into this type of field. Yeah, there are others that have come through a route where they've not necessarily thought about the issues in the way that I have. Yeah, which has meant that I've had to challenge and all be challenged with regards to my perspective at times. Mm. That sounds so interesting, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit slightly, or based on your journey. And your primary school experience sounds verbatim so similar. I don't know if you've been watching or you watched the Small Axe series by Stephen McQueen. And the last episode is basically exactly what you described. I was going to mention that. that, 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 Well, all of those are me because that's the area that I grew up with. But the last one was really, really uh, wow for me. It was very much, uh, that's my experience. You know, it was very, very, very... uh, Although I don't remember seeing any black psychologists back in those no. days. And um, so, you know, and when I started, it was only a handful, you know, to go mm-hmm. to these conferences and it was just me to the extent I just felt quite wall. I mean, nice people. I mean, I mean, I've got mm-hmm. some really great friends, you know, and, um, but it just, I, I just, and now hopefully within my profession, I haven't been to a conference for many, many years, but mm-hmm. it was, I'm hopeful that there'll be more, more, more faces out there that are actually making an impact. We're trying. I think there's a couple of initiatives, obviously, the BIP network that I'm part of, trying to change that, and then organisations like Tepic and... Yeah, yeah, I'm very impressed with them, yes. Yeah, and other organisations that are truly trying to look at the diversity within, create diversity within psychology. And based on my experience, um, you know, at university, undergraduate level, very similar, you know, however many years later, um, my course... I think 120 odd people and there was maybe five black people on the course. I did mine at University of Birmingham. Um, so it, it hasn't, again, different universities will have different demographics, but that was then in like 2004 to 2007. So it hadn't really changed much. Going to conferences, the same thing, that's what spurred on this con- this uh, podcast and the meetup group. So it's still not representative, um, especially in different areas of psychology, but I, I just thought, I just remembered when you were talking about your experiences, similar to friends and family members that I have, especially at school, when they were at school, it, it sounds like a story that so many people will relate to because, you know, being labelled as disruptive or educationally below, that kind of stuff gets banded around, even though it might not be done explicitly these days. Um, there's a lot of implied and loaded language that is used for children that are different that might be racially different, might be ethnically different, could be any reason. And it just, it really goes to show how much impact that does have on people who are at school and their parents. So it sounds like your dad really wasn't going to have it, um, which is similar to, again, my family members and fa- like family members of friends that I know that are just like, no, 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 I'm not going to take whatever you're saying about my child doesn't really add up. So having the advocate within your family member or friends that can help you. And that's why we need like this network of people. Like who, who is an educational psychologist out there? What does this mean? How do I seek help? What do I do? Like this is what the teachers are saying. So thank you so much for sharing that. And then um, another question I have is around your training. When you started on the edge psych journey at UEL or East London Polytechnic as it was called then, um, how long was that course? And what kinds of things did you cover on it? Well, I mean, the course was a year, mm. so it's an extremely intensive year. So yeah. back in those days, it was packing in a lot. 
And it was very much like, um, you know, covering, um, oh gosh, I've got to go back a bit now, thinking about that, was 80, whatever it is. Um, but the conceptualization was about um, being able to um, assess mm -hmm. individuals um, through a range of techniques. Um, so cognitive assessment, observations, right. consultations, to be able to work with parents and mm -hmm. other agencies, mm -hmm. um, to be able to deliver training to groups, okay. um, and also to be able to work at a local authority level from mm -hmm. the point of, view of research and being mm -hmm. involved in initiatives. Right. Um, and then alongside that, to be able to um, apply the, psych the psychological theories that you'd acquired from that training mm -hmm. so that you could evidence-base that in your practice right. and, 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 be, and be assessed accordingly. And I mean, that's my memory of it. And then part of that obviously involves placement. Yeah. We were placed in different authorities. Mm -hmm. As I already mentioned, one of my authorities was Barking in Dagnum. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Um, which I requested because I was having a very bad experience in another authority where it was just, it was the racism was just too blatant. It was, it was, it was so obvious. They were asking me so many ridiculous things that I said, look, to my to supervisor, Sheila, I said, look, you know, this is, this is tough enough as it is. And um, I don't really want to be, you know, can you can reconsider me? So they placed me in a much more supportive um, context. Mm. Um, yeah, so basically it was that. Um, we had to attend certain conferences um, as trainees. Mm. Um, there was a, a real team speak feel about the about the um, about the about that um, experience for me. So I got to meet some very nice psychologists. I haven't kept too much in touch with them for now, mm. but we all seemed to be kind of very motivated with regards to this particular course. And the course at the time was seen as one of the best, even though it was a polytechnic. This is the thing with polytechnics. They tend to, and my dad always told me this um, when I was applying to unis, he was saying for a practical courses, those yeah. polytechnics are second to none because that's what they're there for. They were there for to train people who work practically. There weren't ac academic institutions, obviously at the moment, that's all out the window. Um, but you still got those areas of expertise in those polyt old polytechnics because they've had years and years to build on that practical and applied um, experience and knowledge that they have, which other universities probably won't have as much. Yeah, I, I really got the feel back in those days was that they were they were challenging the Eurocentric uh, models of assessment. And that was something that was something that I was very keen to kind of find out more about. Obviously, when you're an undergraduate, you study about methods and certain aspects of learning about IQs and kind of gender, racial differences and so on and so forth. Mm. It was very much something that was in my mind of thinking. And I was also very much aware that it wasn't just about being a child and growing up. It was also about my peers and also yeah. my superiors or mm. uh, and how they would see me with regards to the subtle microaggression, aggressive kind of comments and experiences that I had. Mm. I kind of passed on because it wasn't so overt and just mm. on board as part of the subtle stuff that I needed to be mindful of. Um, and to be, to, I suppose, really thinking, well, where do I pitch my battle from mm. the point of view of challenging um, the, the, the stereotypes? So that's been undergone. I still feel that that still happens to date. Um, you know, my, my, for me, uh, you know, my dad, of, my family are hopefully very proud of what I've done. Mm. But I'm, I'm at the top of my profession now. So, you know, I've worked as a consultant for Cambridge University. Mm. I was five to six years have been involved in their diagnostic assessments of mm -hmm. neuroflexia mm -hmm. and autism, Asperger's syndrome. Um, I've, you know, I've been, the Northern Wing Centre is a well, well famous, renowned diagnostic service. And, yeah. um, and I've done other things that have kind of put me up in a position where I can actually say, well, look, I've, I've achieved that to a very high level. So Absolutely. I get the referrals coming to me from mm. the Lords and from the Sirs and, and so on and so forth. But I'm still very much me. I'm very mm. aggressive person. I don't, I always just see me as who I am. And um, and I'm, I try to do my best to enable others to to tread a, a smoother path to what I've, I've, had, to, mm. I've had to tread. Mm. It's a really good point. And I, I actually wanted to link to that. You talked about uh, your dad being quite adamant that you know you do your best all the time so when you chose psychology as an undergrad what was his reaction to that because you wanted to, he wanted you to do medicine and 
you ended up being a psychologist. He wasn't very happy, but mm-hmm. then, um, so I wasn't very happy with him mm. from the point of view of, um, you know, I mean, obviously I was, ta- what I'd like to say, I was talented in other areas and yeah. I've kind of pursued that because I've done lots of things that I wanted to do subsequently. Mm. But um, I did have opportunities in other areas with regards yeah. to, I was a talented musician, I was mm. very talented in sports, but the opportunities were curtailed, you would yeah. say, with enthusiasm because my dad, and I understand where he's coming from now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, was, he was saying, look, you know, these are these are stereotypes. This is what, you know, the, the media will kind of like say that we do well. Yeah. You need to go on and get letters behind your name. And he wanted me to become a doctor. Um, and I just... And you are, just not a medical one, but it's yeah, fine. Absolutely. My, do- my daughter is a doctor. Oh, really? Oh, so he, he got one, some, there's some... Yeah. One there. She's 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 on the final stages becoming an anaesthetist, so she's Brilliant. doing really well. So she, you know, she's uh, yeah, she's um, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I kind of feel quite very proud of her because uh, I'm I'm a I'm a senior associate member of the of the Royal Society of Medicine as yeah. part of the journey. So I've been asked to become a member, and I've been a member for about five or six years. And so she's mm. we had a moment this year before the COVID when she's come back from her training. Um, and we went to the Royal Society of Medicine together and sat in the library. And that oh, was so wonderful. lovely, honestly. As a father, you think of your journey coming from the East End of London. Yeah. And uh, there she is, you know, your princess, and we're both trying to work together. You know? <laughs> that so, is, you know, that's wild. Yeah. It's such a lovely story. It has come full circle. I'm sure, I hope your dad's proud of her as well. Um, he's, not, he's up there somewhere, hopefully, looking down, yes. He's, you know, he's passed away a while ago now, but yes. Hopefully. I do feel like he got his wish in the end. <laughs> but it was tough. it was tough because he 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 I had to um go against his kind of um um will when yeah. I became able to assert my own point of view mm. and um he you know he wasn't very happy but I think once he realized that was achieving him he kind of saw he saw what what what, what I was doing what my contribution is and I'm sure he's he, you know he was more happier than that he was happy you know and um, he doesn't know that my daughter would, he will know up there that my daughter's a doctor, so mm. he'll be even happier. So that's good. That is one of the things that we do talk about in the podcast. It's come up a few times when I've done the kind of one-to-one interviews before with psychologists um, who are younger, but with similar kind of like, well, what are you going to do with that? Like, where is it going to take you? Do medicine, do law. We are, you know, they're the more traditional pathways. What are you doing psychology for? Do you want to read people's minds? So I do like, again, this is another example of where you know there are so many things out there that we can pursue and I think people like you and I don't want this to sound like really weird but I do think people like you are trailblazers because even if it's like that one black face that you see in the conference at least you're there and then that allows that's something that I always craved I hardly ever saw anybody um, from my ethnic background at any of these conferences my lecturers none of them were black until I did a second postgraduate diploma masters and that was just only finished that last this year or last year so it's a very it can be quite a lonely journey but knowing that people are around and they can help you you can draw on um, resources and advice is really really important so yeah thank you for not listening to your dad <laughs> and, and, and following this path. There's also something about one's own resilience because mm. I think to be able to to really know what you're going into is tough. You know, yeah. even you've got the support, so you're actually you're the person that's living that journey. Mm-hmm. And it had I had to really check myself with regards to whether I was doing the right thing, to mm. be committed to what I was doing, and to you know to ensure that I I had kind of. Um, I had the resilience to deal with the difficulties when they experienced them presented themselves to me because believe you me, it's been tough. Oh yeah. 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 I can, I can really imagine. I mean, I can't really imagine how hard it has been. Um, again, like you've, you've touched on some of those things, but I'm sure that's like the tip of the iceberg of the day to day stuff, especially it seems like, especially when you're, when you were in the schools, so in the primary school setting, especially in those days, political correctness, I don't think was a thing. So people, it just came out, it just came out and you probably were faced with quite a lot of unsavoury attitudes and behaviours. Well, I mean, I think, I think probably one of the things that I kind of allude to with that is that when I was, was that young, they used to sing this song 
sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Mm. I was really upset by that because I just didn't get it. I couldn't get why they, they were saying that names were never hurting me because mm. I didn't get the sticks and stones because that's what I was experiencing. But I was also getting the names constantly in every walk of life, not just yeah. in the school, out in the community, walking down the road or whatever, from adults as well as children. They were all doing it. And it really hurt me. Yeah. It really, really did hurt me, you know, to the extent that I was kind of, I uh, went for a journey of um, not feeling comfortable about my own culture, my own identity, you mm. know, and uh, and sort of feeling, no, no, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to be perceived as a, a Caribbean and I'm going home, I'm eating rice and peas or whatever mm. it was. It's very much that, and you go for those stages where you're trying to, you know, find yourself and don't believe, get, don't get me wrong. I've got some fantastic friends. I married a white lady, mm. you know, I, so I've got some really, really good friends that I've grown up with. We're having a reunion. So I, I, there's nothing that I would say other than some really good things about that journey. But from the point of view of the establishment and yeah. my experiences were being supported, it was a very difficult time. And I would always remember that from the point of view of supporting others that are going on that journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're kind of experiences made you not want other people to experience what you experience absolutely. absolutely when you know when uh when you know uh, and if you know this happens in i mean we're talking we're talking about what's going on with the black lives matter we're talking about the the covid we're talking about you know about um the underrepresentation of those who are taking up the vaccine and everything mm. um and i remember having bad experiences within, within the medical profession with regards to pursuing a diagnosis with regards to my health and well-being and being yeah. treated very very in a unequal and unfair way and I think you know you can understand well perhaps there's a kind of um concern about whether to take it up and whether to trust those professionals absolutely I mean you're spot on when it comes to distrust and mistrust and lack of confidence in not just the medical profession but all of the structures of society especially in countries where you're a minority so to speak because you know historically if you look at the statistics I mean the unemployment statistics came out recent uh, I think a few days ago the new ones ONS and if you look at all the BAME communities they're you know sometimes three to four times higher than the white majority and that and, I mean that's usually the case anyway but it, it's happening again you've got the the uh, mother's mortality rates I can't think of the word maternity mortality rates black yeah. women five times higher than the white women all sorts of things so it, it there's no surprise that people are going to feel cynical and also very mistrusting of a vaccine that's been developed over a number of months but uh you know we are where we are and it's about trying to be that I suppose middle ground and being able to to communicate both things to both people and being advocates for people like us who don't have advocates um, and don't have voices so yeah, and, and I think what's um, what's good about what you're doing, because I've tried this before, um, and some of my colleagues are still doing this. Um, mm. And um, but I I decided that um, because of the mixtures of when we had the you know and a, a consortium of, of black psychologists, there was a lot of issues to do with um, islands that you came from. <laughs> ethnicity ethnicity one's gender yeah and there was all stuff that was just coming in and it was yeah. just it wasn't going anywhere for me because I thought no I'm going to step away from this because I'm not feeling that this is helping me to move forward many years in my career but I've dipped, mm. and I've dipped out and I felt that my contribution would be would be to promote something with regards to being a specialist in a field where there aren't many people like me in fact I was the only black specialist educational psychologist right. At senior mm. at the time I don't know if there are any now but 19 20 years ago it was just me you know and uh, trying to promote that kind of awareness within communities mm. it's what I've been trying to do is ever since you know even within the autism professional community Absolutely. Um, you know I'm still one of the one that, I'm still the only one you know in really? within, within the diagnostic uh, clinician team mm. I'm the only black male there and um, you know I've you know I'm trying to promote um, that awareness they're all aware it's just that something's not happening and yeah uh, uh, so it, it we're still we're still we're still got a you know we've still got ways to go but hopefully we're moving in the right direction so what I was saying is that I've never had the opportunity to meet with a business psychologist in a way to have this conversation like this mm. possibly it may have been through some kind of networking 
kind of venture with regards to business or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm really pleased to hear that you're doing this and you're joining up with other psychologists in applied fields to promote that kind of overarching kind of holistic feel of what we can do as psychologists across all settings. Absolutely. Um, I'm a big believer in kind of working together because one thing I like about psychology is that there are so many different fields, but people can become quite siloed in those fields. And there's areas that we can actually all work together. And, you know, one of the areas in organizational psychology or occupational psychology, whatever you want to call it, because it's got so many names that we share with EdPsych is the assessment side. So we do the assessments in workplaces for selection, uh, jobs, all of that kind of stuff and uh, personal development and career development. And you do it for in the school setting. But, you know, some of the training that we have probably quite similar, how it's applied is probably quite similar. Some of the tools we might use might be the same or very similar. So, I mean, who knows what we can do with that, especially. I do think that there's a lot to be said around having more culturally diverse models competent models um in both spaces i know that for kind of workplace assessments adverse impact is factored in but i mean that's another discussion for a different day but um i'm not sure how that works in educational psychology do you the assessments do you that you use are do you kind of measure adverse impact at all yeah absolutely i mean i think you know my journey is like i started off as a as a a child and educational psychologist Mm. but with regards to my specialism, I've, I've moved into different fields because I've got mm. core transferable skills. And so, you know, in recognition of, you know, when, when I started working as a child and educational psychologist, it was very much thought that the focus was on the child, but I soon found it wasn't necessarily the family, it was issues to do with the educators. Mm. And you're thinking about the context in which the child is supposedly not doing well. Yeah. Then you start looking at the environment and then you start thinking, well, wait a minute, there's an issue to do with the environment. There's something here with regards to what we call as a social model of disability yeah. that needs to be considered very carefully in order to affect change. And in order to affect change, you have to do research and then you have to get involved with strategy. Yeah. Um, whilst alongside working and trying to change that organization. So we did a lot right. uh, on organizational development and right. uh, that was very much part of the stuff that I was doing for my doctorate. Right, brilliant. And let's kind of fast forward to your your role now. I said you said that you kind of take you took early retirement, but you're focusing on your own consultancy. So, what kind of work do you do in your own consultancy? And yeah, how do you how are you developing that that side too? Well. <laughs> I think I've been, I've always been developing that side of my practice mm-hmm. for the best part of 15 years when I recognized that once there were cuts in the local authority and that my role as a specialist was becoming very uh, marginalized, in other words, that I had a big role with regards to strategy. I could travel over the country and I was going to different parts of the world to look at um, uh, interventions and projects that we could bring back to my local authority. And we did very well as a local authority in that and it was a very rewarding job. Uh, but I became very much um, stressed by having to work with children and families because they are very complex and mm. um, it was affecting my health. So I decided to um, work more with regards to trying to develop my kind of way of working, which is much more assessment in context over time, mm-hmm. taking on board all the factors that one needs to take on board in order to provide an accurate and uh, as, as best as one possibly can assessment. Mm-hmm of a person's needs and their families and and to provide interventions that are relevant and meaningful yeah so so what i'm doing is that i'm um i'm kind of um i'm kind of working with adolescents and adults who have um they're not so much termed as asperger syndrome now because that's that it's that's gone now it's called autism spectrum uh, disorder but there 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 is there is a kind of um, a profile which Mm -hmm is Asperger's so I've been working with those that are not able to access diagnostic services but they're out there and they want support and so I've been working with them I I, I assess and diagnose and I also provide interventions and support plans for them and their families and whoever Mm -hmm. I work with women and girls in the spectrums I've already alluded to and my passion as well is about working with children and families and ethnic minority communities yeah. so I'm doing a lot of stuff with that um, with the tepids so I, they asked me to talk about um, I think lots of the stuff that I've spoken about today with regards to my journey yeah. but it's also about issues to do with autism ethnicity and culture so mm-hmm. I was able to provide some, some, some advice as to what 
educational psychologists in training need to be considering with regards to their assessment practices. Mm -hmm. They need to challenge themselves with regards to what they what the, what are they bringing to that kind of experience from the point of view of their biases mm. and to be 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 aware that they are dealing with a different cultural perspective which may challenge them from the point of view of their uh, cultural norms absolutely yeah um and my experience um that that you know even working in culture diverse environments there are psychologists that tend not to see that they right. are very much going in with their set of tools their way of thinking and it's putting their families that they're assessing at a disadvantage. And certainly mm. that was me back in the day when I was assessed, you know, when they thought that I was a behavior problem and wanted to put me in a special school. So it's, you know, so what I'm what I'm doing now is, is basically, this is my time to say, well, look, I've, 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 I've had a good career. This is where I really want to focus on and giving my knowledge and my experience and my expertise to help make move things forward. So. What I'm doing as well at the moment is I'm involved in writing a book with colleagues. We set up a specialist interest group 13, 14 years ago, mm. especially psychologists in the field of autism. Mm -hmm. And we've had some ex ex exceptional uh, uh, conference day study days. And we've had some very good speakers who have volunteered their services for free. And we're writing a book with that. And uh, hopefully it will be it will be published soon. And um, uh, my chapter is on um, autism, ethnicity and culture with mm -hmm. two other very renowned people one's a parent and the other person is a researcher so hopefully that's a way forward with regards to bring getting setting that message out for me i felt that in order to impact change i've had to stick to an area that i feel really comfortable about that i can yeah. kind of make some kind of um, contribution to yeah but i'm very open with regards to the discussions with regards to how we move forward but i think it's about you know as we go we trying to make that impact with regards to our different fields so that we can actually get into those positions where we can can make a more significant impact and change absolutely yeah it sounds really interesting like especially with your area of the culture ethnicity <coughs> and the diagnosis and being able to put that into a way that people who are working in the space can think about rather than oh it's not it's not relevant we're just going to apply this what we already do and then inevitably, it's not really always going to fit. Most of the time, it doesn't even fit with people that are not from ethnic minority backgrounds, but have different, you know, life experiences. So adapting the tools and being able to adapt your interventions accordingly, I think, especially in an applied setting like you are working in, is actually, it's very important. In fact, I think it's quite imperative to the outcome because, you know, everyone's different. You're not going to get the same outcome you yeah. can do the same thing over and over again so yeah and and as part of this i mean i'm, I'm also involved in research so i'm actually oh. involved in perhaps uh, i've had interest from trainees and maybe you know wanting me to kind of help them support them with regards to their research with regards to ethnicity and culture and autism mm -hmm. which is my specialism i'm very much a proponent working in a multidisciplinary way as well and yeah. um that's something that i feel passionate about with regards to ensuring that we have that holistic approach that we're quite clear that we're um, talking from the same sound sheet, so to speak, and that we're doing what's in the best interest of the, the, the families that we're coming across, because it's been my experience that families, and when they're coming across a range of different pro professional perspectives, it's very, very stressful and anxiety-evoking yeah. for them. Absolutely, because it's like from pillar to post. A lot of the time, if you're searching for a diagnosis, it can it takes a long time for starters. And then second of all, with all these specialists telling you things, sometimes it's just not accessible. So again, the accessibility of the information as well is something that I don't think happens a lot of the time. Yeah. And the other thing that I do is I do actually take on occasional, because uh, I, 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 I trained in trauma. So I specialised right. in trauma. So I had a trauma clinic for many, many years. Oh. Um, and that was kind of insurance uh, requests, you know, for okay. not just car accidents, but I had to curtail that because it was very stressful and mm. I needed a lot of supervision because some of those mm. cases were very disturbing. Yeah. Um, but I still I still take on the occasional trauma case and also the occasional, you know, just um, culturally diverse family who needs to just support and, and, and advice when their young person is going through a difficult time. So it's kind of more coaching mentoring rather than counseling uh, well, mm. kind of basic counseling but i do do that as well 
yeah I'm sure you've, you've probably picked up a few extra qualifications over the years as well that will to inform those other areas of interest um thank you so much for sharing I have one more with so for the last I don't know at least year and a half I've I've been mainly on Instagram not gonna lie been sharing a few stories on Instagram especially around conditions like such as ADHD mainly ADHD but I know that your specialist area is more autism, but it's mainly just a bit here. Well, do you want to, I mean, I can talk to you about ADHD because like I've got, you know, I've got okay. notes on that. Yeah, ADHD, so, yeah. So if you suspect uh, someone's got ADHD or yourself. Well, okay, I think obviously first and foremost is about being quite clear as to what ADHD is. And mm-hmm. so um, it's attention deficit hyperactive disorder because um, mm-hmm. people use the, t- the, the kind of the ADHD and not necessarily appreciate what it means because it has yeah. slightly changed over time, but it is a neurological mm-hmm. disorder that impacts on the part of the brain that helps us to plan and to focus on and carry out complex tasks, mm-hmm. executive tasks. And it does vary. There are subtypes. So there's right. the inattentive type, uh, which was in the past known as uh, ADD, attention deficit order, but it's now known yeah. as ADHD inattentive. And then there's the hyperactive time, which is the ADHD hyperactive, which is the more overt kind of behaviors that you see. Mm. And then there's a combination of the two. So there's three mm. subtypes. So I think it's important for those to recognize that. And very, very interestingly, because uh, my research has been uh, bringing me into this from the point of view of um, casework and clinics and um, reading and going to conferences is that alongside as with autism it's more difficult to diagnose in girls yeah. and adults yeah so there's a big area there where I'm coming across that there's girls and women on the spectrum who've got a diagnosis of, of, of ADHD and have also been I've, I've been involved in diagnosing them with autism right and they have other perhaps issues as well. But, mm-hmm. but so it's important to note that they're coming through. And also mm-hmm. with adults, it's, it's, the, it's, it's, um, it's a journey where, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes difficult to recognize because there are other comor- comorbidities. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that may be due to their journey with regards to who they've been seeing and whether yeah. they have a mental health diagnosis as a consequence yeah. of that when really ADHD is there. So one will be, um, borderline personality disorder, bipolar disorder, and so it goes on. So it's, you know, it's, 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 it's about recognizing that it's a lot more complex and that people with ADHD have much more, more trouble with impulse control, focus, focusing and organization. I think that's the cue that I would be saying with regards to those of you that may be interested in that. Mm. Um, but I mean, you know, I think what's being said is that ADHD is not a mental illness that's important as well right. uh, it's, and it's not considered to be a specific learning difficulty although there are overlaps so oh. it's a neurodiverse condition okay right. it's a developmental impairment of the brain self-management system right so both adults and and children can be diagnosed with ADHD yeah. and don't forget there are other subtypes yeah so I wouldn't be from the point of view of um kind of get involved from the point of view of making a diagnosis. I would probably be involved in make, carrying out the observations, but it, I, I'm not trained to make a diagnosis. I wouldn't feel comfortable. I would probably be um, gearing, gearing that person towards someone who is uh, medically qualified for, for instance, a psychiat- psychiatrist. Right, right. Because there would be something about whether there needs to be some consideration with medication. So okay. that's, yeah. that's, you know, that was, because I know when we talked about this, um, that would be the pathway that I'd be suggesting. Yeah, that makes sense, especially with the medicate medic the medication angle and the fact that it's more of a neurological disorder, so to speak, as well. And thank you for de- describing the three different areas because I was like, what happened to ADD? But it's interesting that that's actually a part of the umbrella term yeah. of ADHD. It's yeah, so it's ADHD. Hyperactivity, which is ADHD as we know, mm-hmm. and it's ADHD inattentiveness, which yeah. is ADD. Yeah. So it's it was formerly known as ADD. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and there's, I... a, there's a combination of the two. Brilliant. Excellent. Thank you for that. And how about dyslexia, which is, I think, a little bit more common? Um, how do people, first of all, recognize it themselves, seek help, and how is it diagnosed? Well, dyslexia is probably more kind of. It, I mean, it's, it's, that's, I mean, it's basically to do with issues to do with um, processing of language. Uh, yeah. So it's about, it affects the skills involved in accurate, fluent word reading and spelling. And it has 
it's 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 estimated there's quite you know there's a, a, quite a large percentage of the population that have that although the, the, the term dyslexia is also a, a, a controversial one. Really? There are those that are saying that you know, there isn't such a thing as dyslexia. It should be considered as being a specific learning difficulty. So that's been an ongoing debate within the field of educational psychology for many right. years now. Right. Uh, but there is a real strong body that says that it does exist. And, right. um, and certainly I've been involved in assessing those from children right up to adulthood, um, you know, as I've mentioned at university. Right. Um, but uh, you know the, the features that we'd be looking for is issues to do with their phonological awareness, their mm-hmm. ability to remember things for words, and their mm-hmm. processing speed, which is mm-hmm. quite a significant one. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, with, with with ADHD, they can concur with other uh, morbidities, so yes. not uncommon as well to have someone who's got been diagnosed with ADHD or mm-hmm. to to have a specific learning difficulty known as dyslexia, yeah, right, right, and it's fractured, so it goes on. So you know, when I started to, to, to work with those with adults, it was 20 odd years ago in an FE college, mm. there was issues to do with the, you know, how it impacted on the adults' confidence and self-esteem because mm-hmm. they'd gone through an experience where they were felt mentally they were thick and that they because mm. they couldn't read and they couldn't write. Yeah. It affected them from the point of view of their behavior. So they mm. became known as the cast clown. Yeah. They would withdraw from going to school and so on and so forth. Yet these these people were extremely talented. They had very good skills yeah very creative yeah um and you know that they they were missing out and when they were you know faced with a task that involved um, um tests academic tests they they were they were failing so my role was really to make sure that they had the reasonable adjustments to help them to access those, those opportunities and mm. that's the same throughout of what i've done with regards to promoting awareness of this lecture uh, throughout my career excellent and some of the reasonable adjust- adjustments that I'm aware of from just having college, like my classmates or people at university that had dyslexia was like extra time in, yeah. in exams and extra time with assignments. What other reasonable adjustments? Could yeah, there's extra there? time. There's, um, there's rest breaks within the exams. Yeah. There's, the, um, there's access to technical equipment such as yeah. a dictating machine or dictation software mm. there's um, study skill support mm. from the point of view of helping those students to um, structure their, their their reports and things like that you know so there was a range out there yeah. and they were also able to claim for what's known as a disability students allowance and that yeah. was big because they could they could have that resources that made available to them Absolutely. you know um, which really helped them I mean some yeah. of the students that I assessed at Cambridge they were brilliant and really really clever but it was what was really they were falling down on is their ability to process information at speed yeah and so we had to make a case for them with regards to that specific area right um, the assessments can be um, made by a range of professionals so you could have specialists specially trained teachers who can carry out the assessments okay um, psychologist, educational, clinical. So that's um, that's kind of um, specialised from the point of view of having a medical concern that needs to be considered mm-hmm. from the point of view of medication. Um, but like I said, there are overlaps. So um, so that yeah, so it's a bit more clear with with and also I mean I think it's important to note that uh, I mean even though it's much more considered to be acceptable, it works across all cultures. Yeah. You know, because that's another one where, you know, the, the cultural issues with regards to this lecture in the past has been perceived as a white middle class kind of phenomenon, where it's not. It's kind of affecting all cultures and everything. And I think that's important to, to recognise that. But it also it's important to recognise how one assesses that from the point of view of cultural diversity. Absolutely. And the impact of that kind of diagnosis on a on a young person or an adult as well. And the, the kind of cultural implications of what you're saying and how you explain it um absolutely and I've seen that change in my lifetime and I'm sure that change has probably been even more stark in your lifetime because you know we from something that wasn't even recognized or not very well understood to something that's a little bit more mainstream now yes we still have the we still got the stigma around it like massive stigma and misunderstanding but it's a lot more common to know someone that has dyslexia yeah I feel yeah yeah, and I've had referrals that have come through where they, you know, they're from big corporate organisations alongside um, uh, a, 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 a autism, 
And so the employers have been very accommodating from the point of realising that they've got a very talented employee. Mm. They're, they're struggling with regards to the literacy uh, requirements or the numeracy requirements because there's another condition known as dyscalculia. Yeah. Um, so, so which I can assess. So it's, you know, it's out there. And I think it's about uh, promoting the, 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 the message that it's not about uh, what you're typically, it's what you know, the methods in which you're testing needs to be challenged. And that's what we do with dyslexia as well as, you know, other areas. Absolutely. And I do think there is a massive movement now to do a lot of the kind of these assessments within the workplace. So there are some work and organisational psychology organisations that are now offering those assessments in the workplace for employees, because, again, it's a massive area. You might get got misdiagnosed or undiagnosed at school, picking it up at a later stage um, and people that are often kind of coaching to those employees as well um, from a development. And a, it's more of a, from a development perspective, actually. So that's excellent. And I don't know if you want to touch on autism. I know that's your main area, but I know autism spectrum disorder now, I mean, it's massive. So <laughs> um, it's, it's a big, it's a big one. It's, a, it's, it's similar to, um, the, well, they're all neurodevelopmental disabilities. Mm -hmm. And um, this one affects how a person communicates and relates to other people. That's mm -hmm. the basic thing. And it also, it makes, it also impacts on how how they make sense of the world around them. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's the big core of that. And um, it is a spectrum condition, I, but I would also suggest that, um, that ADHD and, and this mm -hmm. dyslexia are spectrum-ish because yes. you different forms of it, mm -hmm. which means that while all people with autism share certain difficulties, their condition will affect them in different ways. Absolutely. So we would, you know, I find that some of them will be able to live relatively independent lives. Mm -hmm. Whereas others have accompanying learning disabilities, which you'll see, and um, need a lifetime of specialist support. So some of them may be uh, experience over or under sensitivity to sounds, touch, taste, smells, lights, and colours. So we, mm. we look at that as well. Mm. Uh, what what we look for when we're looking to assess is to do with uh, social interaction, mm. social communication, and social imagination. That's the key word. Social. There are issues to do with their social. Uh, abilities yeah. and uh, they're normally associated with rigid style of functioning um, sensory processing difficulties and, and what we find is very high anxiety levels mm. um, so it's you know those are the core um, until recently that obviously like I mentioned before that Asperger's has been kind of the ones that have been out there and yeah. kind of acknowledged but now they're re realizing that perhaps they need to be within, subsumed within the, the spectrum, autism spectrum disorders. I'm not comfortable with disorders. I don't know where, I'm I'm not sure where, how I feel about conditions, but I just, mm. I just feel like, I feel that there's an issue that's ongoing with regards to the terminology that we use here. Absolutely. Um, but yes, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's something that um, has been, it's been very much prevalent in my life. And mm. uh, like I've indicated, I'm, I'm kind of quite involved in, promoting awareness of it. I mean, I yeah. could talk for ages about this area, uh, but uh, I'm not sure how much time we've got, but it is, it is, it's um, it's a fascinating area. And it, it's pervasive as with the others throughout all cultures. Absolutely. And it, it kind of, you see it consistently across, it's, it's not one more than the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what you might have is probably misdiagnosis, underdiagnosis, yeah. overdiagnosis. Um, yeah. ADHD is another is an area I would say is overdiagnosed. Yeah, we call it diagnostic overshadowing. That's that's oh, wow. so that you know that if a person has been diagnosed with one of these, mm. uh, if the other areas of others are there, they seem to be overshadowed by this one diagnosis. So it's not uncommon that we've seen I've seen those that have had a their preliminary diagnosis of ADHD. Mm. Uh, but on closer inspection, because they've been medicated or whatever, and it's yeah. not worked, that there's autism there. And there are yeah. overlaps. You know, there's a, there are big fields of research which are looking at these overlaps. And obviously there's a, well, you know, no, obviously, but there is, there is research that's looking at genetic links. Mm. And so there's evidence that there's a genetic link, and we've seen it with regards to family traits. Mm. Um, with, with, with autism, it's, um, it, it's, there's no such thing as a test for autism as such. How we work is from the point of view, carrying out some very detailed observations and yes. our developmental history. Yeah. So it's more assessment and also history, which yeah. is histories and assessments yeah. and observations. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's fascinating. Honestly, it really is because even though I've got an understanding of some of these um, 
areas I don't have that much in depth especially you know what was enlightening for me was the ADHD like breakdown because I was a bit confused when because people have stopped using the term ADD I feel like they have in mainstream anyway so I'm like what happened to that part of ADHD is it the same but yes I'm, I'm glad you kind of cleared that up for me um, so if anyone wanted to contact yourself for I don't know if they're interested in di- you doing diagnostic work around them how can they contact you where can they find you well I've got a website um I'm quite happy for you to to, to let them know my website I'll um, link uh, it in the description um, I'm happy to be contacted with regard to any areas that they're interested in from the point of view that in, interested to know whether they're doing any development work that I can contribute to um I have to be careful when I say that because I'm out there <laughs> I know right otherwise you get about 20 emails a day I get, I'll get I'll get too much but uh but I'm you know obviously I'm you know it's great to be able to have this conversation so that we actually you know you know that I'm out there that there's things going on and um I don't know if I'm going to be you know I'd like to be involved in anything from the point of view just listening in mm. to what, what what your what your organization is doing from the point of view right, in these issues it's just been really enlightening and it's been I've been I just really like the conversation and your journey being so open with all your experiences have been I know that other people will either relate or become very like educated about what it's actually been like for you and what it's probably been like for others in in the similar field or the same field or even different fields because there are themes that cut across them all um so thank you so much for your time you're welcome um like I said 